Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I'm talking to Charlie Key. Uh, we're going to talk about Internet of Things type technologies, and his company is called Losant, L-O-S-A-N-T. Uh, Charlie, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? Good. I appreciate you being here. Um, what's your position at Losant? And um, tell the listeners a little bit about what, what Losant does. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a co-founder and the CEO of the company, and you know, we've been around about a year and a half now. You know, we're really focused on providing enterprises and companies with the tools and foundation to help build connected solutions. And and really what that means in our world is the ability to take and use connected devices and sensors and data from digital sources and build meaningful experiences and applications on top of it. So a company might be solving a specific problem or providing a new solution or product out in the market. And we give them the cloud and software tools to do that. Yeah, so what are the most um, common problems that you're helping companies to solve? What do they involve? Yeah, so there's there's a wide range, but uh, a, a big chunk of them kind of fall into what we call like industrial situations. So if you think about all of the equipment out in the world, whether it's inside of a factory or at a construction site or out at a gold mine, you have industrial pumps, you have manufacturing equipment, you have production pieces, and all of these are starting to put off lots and lots of data. You know, today a lot of this data is not used. So one of the most common scenarios that we see using the LoSAN platform is really around bringing that data, pushing it to our platform, and then using our platform to build visualizations, so dashboards around understanding what that data looks like, and being able to use that information to make decisions from a maintenance and a monitoring perspective. So combining that visualization with rules that can be built inside of our platform and the workflows that we provide, you get real-time notifications. You can build rules that say, if a pump is running too long, automatically turn it off. If it's running at the wrong time, turn it off and, and those kinds of situations. So, you know, what we kind of call that is a lot of asset monitoring and equipment monitoring and, and tracking. So that's a big, big use case for a lot of the stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, people have seen in movies, like, you know, people in front of a big display, a nuclear power plant, and, you know, a pump goes offline and goes, and eh, 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 turns red. And so it sounds like you do that kind of stuff for industrial applications. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's, that's a pretty good explanation of it. You know, we see that a lot. Um, other companies are using our platform in a variety of other situations. You know, one of our bigger customers and partners is uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise and, and they're building smart office buildings and, and using our product to bring together data from sensors inside of meeting rooms and uh, controlling the environment and, and trying to make employees' lives more seamless in kind of that, that office environment. So, you know, there's a variety of different use cases that we see kind of living and being built on top of the platform today. 
Yeah, what seems interesting to me is not just the collection of the data, but what does it tell you? Have you, you know, in any of your use cases, have you seen, have you gotten unusual insights into people's behavior or system behavior because you see this data? Yeah, we we do a little bit, and and a lot of those are dots and problems that we kind of expected to to get answers out of as people were building on top of this. But you know, we've seen uh, very interesting you know, correlations on when uh, when it, machines are running, and uh, typically, and I guess this makes a little bit of sense. Typically, when we're when machines are being run and equipment's being used, it's not being thought about on how that relates to the actual cost of the power that's it's being used. So if you think about the, a lot of power is demand-based pricing, especially depending on where you live and everything. And that goes up during the heights of the day because we have a lot of people using energy, but that's also when most machines are being run. So you actually see an inverse correlation of we're spending a lot of extra money running machines that we really shouldn't be doing and stuff like that. So that, there's a lot of interesting stuff that we're going to continue to see as more data flows into these systems. <laughs> okay. Um, and in the, so the um, the second use case you talked about sounds a lot more IoT-ish, you know, the smart office. Yep. So what kind of parameters in an office um, do people want to control or do you allow them to control and what are the benefits they get from doing that? Yeah, so kind of the initial hypothesis was, you know, we know coming into, you walk to a meeting room and you spend the first five minutes trying to get everything set up. You get your computer connected, get everybody connected into the call. And so the, the goal was, how can we remove that first five to 10 minutes? So if we can remove five to 10 minutes from every meeting of setup and management of the AV system and everything else, um, whether it's the lights, um, whether it's the AC, you know, so if you've got 10 people in there, there's a lot of body heat and you could actually bring down the, the temperature in the room or allow it to come down or raise on its own, so things like that. So if you can remove that first five, 10 minutes of every meeting, that's a massive efficiency and productivity gain for the companies themselves and for the people and a lot of less headache and, and all those kinds of pieces. So as somebody walks into a meeting room, automatically detecting they've walked in um, and as an employee, they've got a, they've got like their work app on their phone and that says, hey, I've just walked into this meeting room and I'm the organizer. So automatically start picking up the meeting. If they have like a Skype for business video call on it, automatically call up the other, all the other, ten, all of the other attendees and bring them in and bring them on the screen. So we've now fixed that process. And then let's say we finished 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes early. As everybody leaves the room, you've got motion detectors to say, oh, my room's empty now. I can now free up this resource and allow other people to use this meeting room. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of the big stuff. Um, the other piece that they're starting to do more of is if the more modern office layouts have a bunch of open space and, you know, you have un you have unassigned desk and you can kind of pick and choose where you want to set up for the day. And so they're adding sensors to understand that as you walk up and sit down at a desk, the desk will, if it's a automatic electronic, like lower and raised desk, it'll automatically go to the height you want with fancy equipment. You know, the phone all automatically updates your phone number and all of these other pieces. So 
they've got a kind of this next generation of open space where you can move around and work at any different spot that you really want to. Okay, I see. Yeah, like in a meeting, I guess you could even have a trigger when the organizer is in the room, maybe a text or emails all the other people that are supposed to show up saying, hey, the meeting's about to start. Or when people come, they could do a head count, possibly, or you know, when they leave. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so I guess you maybe can... you could solve the problem of uh, every woman in, um, in corporate America feeling like they're sitting right below an air conditioning and every man saying, just put on a sweater, it's hot in here, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's part of the goal. Um, and then if you're the facilities t of the company, you know, you can imagine all the data that they get to better, more efficiently lay out their building, their floors. So how many of these meeting rooms are actually being used? How many people are on average inside of those meetings? You know, what's the usage per month of this? Are we paying for lighting and energy that we don't need to be in certain sections? When we go lay out the next office, should it have more meeting rooms, less meeting rooms, that kind of information as well. So, you know, improving efficiencies from the facility side is is a big part of it. What about selectively um, changing the thermostat, you know, when people are not around versus around to save overall um, heating and cooling costs? Yeah, exactly. So that's just where, you know, that's the beginning of all of this. and. You know, we'll see big improvements over the next five plus years and and what gets incorporated in those systems. So that's a big part of where this kind of shift and the IoT and the smart office space kind of is headed. Do you have data now? Have you do you have use cases where you saved the company X percent of energy usage or made other improvements? Uh it's still a bit early on on the long-term savings on some of these things you know we've got a, a number of companies that are using this inside of their offices but you know we've got four or five six months of data it's still a bit early to kind of make big correlations off of it how about the people's experience in offices do they like it do they feel it's intrusive i mean what's their thought on it uh so far it's been really good so people have really enjoyed the ability to get the stuff up and running very quickly and easily and you know there is there is almost an opt-in process because uh, you'd have like an app on your cell phone on your smartphone that is for your work so let's imagine you work for bmw you might have the bmw employee app on there and, and you've got to opt in a bit on this so you know you can still manually do all of this if you really want but the goal is to show such a improvement in your kind of daily life that you want to you want to include this and make it a lot easier for yourselves. Gotcha. Okay. Very good. Any other use cases that you find particularly exciting or interesting that are maybe just coming to the to the fore right now? You know, there's a there's a bunch. Um, you know, one of the one of the most interesting and 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 ones that we see a lot of is um, almost pure asset tracking. So um, where is my expensive equipment um, is I'm on the move. So this might be for um, heavy heavy construction equipment like a, a Bobcat or um, a backhoe or those kinds of pieces of equipment, or even it's a, a really expensive tool. So you have a generator that travels around and is worth twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000. You know, if you think about a large construction or 
mechanical company. They've got a bunch of these things, but it's a limited number, and they've got more sites than they have generators available. So as they go look for this equipment, you get great efficiencies to be able to go track this stuff down very quickly and easily. And so we see a lot of um, a lot of things that you know purely by thinking about it more as a connected device. There's a lot of value that they're uh, getting out of this stuff, you know, almost immediately. Yeah, what other, so they can track an expensive asset, where it goes, how it's been, I guess usage and all that. What, um, what other benefits can come from it that, you know, I wouldn't think of that, you know, you know? Um, I mean, a lot of them are pretty, pretty obvious. I mean, um, we can, you know, uh, you think about like, adding a geofence. So if you've got a expensive asset, you know, you could automatically tag it at a site when it comes into a certain distance of it. Um, or if it's leaving a site, you know, you get an automatic notification on that stuff. A lot of it's, you know, I wouldn't say 100% obvious, but it's a lot of, you know, pretty straightforward things when it comes to tracking those kinds of assets and, and trying to understand what's happening with them. You know, and that, that's been a, that's been a, the hard part in that industry right now is getting people who have never used this amount of technology to understand what that value is going to be and, and trying to bring them on the side of, hey, let's be technology forward. You know, I had a really interesting conversation the other day where we were talking about this stuff. And the the problem isn't that a lot of these companies don't want to be forward thinking when it comes to technology. The problem happens is that if they make one bad, big technology choice, it could really put them at a disadvantage for a long term. You know, these are a lot of medium-sized, the lower-sized businesses where a capital and a technology investment is going to cost a lot of man hours, a lot of time, a lot of energy to implement. And if they do the wrong thing for the next five plus years, they're not going to have time to recatch up because they're not they've never been made to be a technology first company and and that's that's a big problem in the industry is just trying to understand what the right option is what's the right solution how do we implement it and how do we go forward as a company from a technology standpoint where you know inherently we might be a construction company we might be a manufacturing company we're not a technology software company Okay, gotcha. So what what do you consider the near-term future that you're looking at rolling out for 2017? What's, you know, three to five years out? What are your goals and what do you think is possible? Uh, we kind of look at the space and we see a lot of, a, a lot of things happening in the industry and in the ecosystem. You know, specifically for us, we're really interested in what's happening uh, closer to at the edge fog level in the IoT space. And, and what that really means is how can we manage data that's coming from machines really close to them while being able to think about predictive maintenance and, and some amount of machine learning that should be happening very close to those machines. So if you think about a big piece of uh, factory equipment that's manufacturing something, it's putting off a lot of information at a very high rate. That data needs to be processed very quickly and then if we're going to put some kind of predictive algorithm with it as well 
that needs to run right next to it. So we can't go, just send all that data up to the cloud and then crunch it there. We need to do a combination of managing a lot of this data very close to the machine, filtering it, making decisions, and then sending some of it up to the cloud that we now have a kind of a 30,000 foot view of all of this stuff um, at a cloud implementation, but we also have data that's flowing down at the edge. And, and this is, I think, going to be a really big trend over the next three to five years uh, on what's happening, especially in the IoT space. You know, we're going to see more and more data, but that proliferation of data is going to push us to bring more intelligence and computing down to the edge and the kind of fog level. What's some of the data that is now going to become available that companies won't know what to do with or will just feel like a chicken without a head and not be able to harness? What do you think are the most important things they'll get? Well, if you think about it, there's going to be like like data right now that would be very hard to use in the current kind of IoT world. So vibration data. So vibration data, we need to, we need to record at a, at a very high frequency. So, you know, a hundred times, a thousand times a second, and then uh, kind of compute that and, and analyze that at a very fast rate as well. So right now, you can't do a much of that and push it to the cloud. You, you can do it post, but you're not going to make real-time decisions. You're not going to be able to make real-time um, solutions and, and applications that are, are going to be using that in real-time because we just can't do that today without pushing putting a computer right next to the the actual machine. So that, that it's that kind of data. So I think high frequency vibration data, high frequency temperature data, high frequency motors. So you have uh, a, like a CNC machine that is cutting apart. Well, that's spinning at a, at a, a very high RPM. We, you can't monitor that in real time from a kind of cloud IoT. But if you combine that with some of this localized gateway edge computing, we can have more intelligent decisions. But now we can also combine that with all of the other machines and this bigger idea of understanding what's happening in our manufacturing and supply chain and being able to understand how do we how do we understand what's happening down down that chain. So, you know, if is the manufacturing starting to fall behind, can I automatically update my boxing line and my uh, packaging line, notifying them automatically through this kind of uh, analysis that, hey, our speed's going to change here. We don't have as many parts coming out. Maybe I should pull in parts from automatically from a different line. Those kinds of decisions are going to be crucial as we kind of look at this stuff. You know? Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> I guess you could also adjust the market demand and change how your line runs, for instance, um, on a day-to-day -day or even hour-to-hour -hour basis, that kind of thing. So I guess there's yep. a lot you can do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And you're going to see big companies that are kind of consumer packaged good companies like Procter & Gamble and and those kinds of companies that are going to take advantage of a lot of this stuff and how they put product out and, and what that product looks like and, and understanding that supply and demand piece is going to be a big part of it. Yeah, everyone seems to be in love with the uh, Internet of Things, but any downsides, any security risks, or other uh, elements uh, that you think are going to be really important? Uh, definitely. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot of things we 
that companies need to think about as they start to implement these kinds of solutions. You know, obviously, I'm a big fan of uh, Internet of Things and the industrial Internet of Things and trying to bring all this stuff together. But there's a lot of problems that we're still putting out in the market, especially from a security and a privacy standpoint. You know, if we if we think about those as, as slightly different things, you know, from a security perspective, we go from the bottom up. So we have devices, you know, more or less the way we think about it and the way I think about it is you have a physical device, you can't stop somebody from picking up that device. You know, that is a physical good that someone can possibly grab a hold of. So we have to say and understand how that security mechanism then has to get rolled down the line. So if you think about, okay, somebody can pick up this device, that means likely they can do something they're not supposed to with it. Therefore, I need to be extra secure in how I transmit my data, how I think about that device. And you know, we, we saw massive problems with this last year where we had lots and lots of devices that from the device to the cloud was not a secure mechanism. And it was and it was really around you know, default passwords and, and pieces like that, which are all pretty solvable and have been solved, especially at the web and, and how we think about building web applications. So we're going to see a lot of the security mechanisms and, and kind of uh, processes that we take and use at the web and push them towards these IoT applications. So that's part of it. That's one piece, massive piece, a lot to happen. You know, and I think we're going to see more problems this year and we're, we're going to get over the hump and we're going to see more and more solutions coming out that are better secure and everything else. Second piece is privacy. So smart home is a perfect example of this, right? You've got Alexa, you've got Siri, you've got Google Home, you've got all these different products that are listening in literally pretty much real time all the time of what's happening in space. So, you know, whether or not they're actually recording them on the server or whatever, there's still an opportunity of of at least lessened privacy. You know, and so if the way we kind of think of it is if I take if I take the amount of reduced privacy that I'm getting in my life is the value that I'm adding to my life outweigh that. Right. So using an Alexa is that improving my life enough that I'm willing to have that sitting in, in my home. And then secondly is who are the companies that are sitting behind this stuff? So Amazon behind Alexa, what are they doing home. with the data? What are they doing with the data? What's happening with it? Do I trust them? I mean, that's a that's a brand question, right? So now we're now we're thinking about the brand that's sitting behind my IoT application and my devices. So there it's there's a lot of complex kind of thoughts that have to go into this. You know, it actually gets probably easier inside of an enterprise and a business because much more likely that it's going to be internal to the company and and you know you do leave holes at that point but you know it's going to be much easier at, at that to say hey i'm not letting any of this go outside of my walls i'm going to keep it all in now that's not going to be the best solution long term but that's where we're going to start at gotcha okay um, I guess last question, any um, <laughs> technologies that you think are probably pretty way off or pretty way out there, but ones you're excited about that you think may come in the next <clears throat> 10 years in the IoT world? 
uh, I think there's some massive stuff. So things I'm super excited about right now, really excited about low power, wide area networks. So, you know, on the very open side, you have things like LoRa, um, you get a little more closed, you get to Sigfox, but I'm excited about all of them. I think they have massive potential to change how industrial applications work, how smart cities work, you know, even at the home level, how all of these pieces are tied together. You know, I think that's a big, big one. That's going to change kind of what we're capable of, what the applications are possible, uh, all the way from agriculture to, you know, uh, to this smart city kind of world. I mean, it, it really is going to expand a lot of stuff. So that's, I'm super excited about that. One that I think we need to continue to focus on and that has not taken giant leaps up until very recent times is in the battery and the power uh, storage and power consumption space. You know, if we think mm. about all of these devices coming online, how are they being powered? How long can they be powered on a battery? And those have massive implications on what kind of solutions, if as a company, I'm going to put into play over the next five, 10 years, and what's that capital cost going to be? What's my maintenance plans around that? Those are big, big decisions. And if you think about it even larger at a city or a state or a federal level, you know, we have to plan for a 10, 20 year lifespan of, of kind of what these devices are going to be at play and, and who's going out and changing the batteries for these things. You know, is it something that's plugged sure. powered or plugged in or battery? So I think that's a big area where we're going to see people work really hard on it and it's going to improve um, and, and going to be a really important aspect as we look for the five, 10 more plus years out. Okay, well, very good. Um, what's the best way for folks that are interested in uh, your technology, learning more about it, interacting with you guys, you know, talking to you about a solution? How should they contact you? Yeah, head out to our website at uh, losant.com. You know, you can reach out via our forums, which are they're always pretty active. You know, but you can always directly email me. I'm charlie at losant.com. Uh, or find us at a, a conference or reach out on the social networks with us. Uh, you know, Twitter seems to be a good place for us to connect as well. Uh, that's at LoSant HQ. You know, we're pretty active. We try to be extremely responsive with our customers and the people we're working with. Okay, very good. Well, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you. You've been listening to Almost Here. Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.